0: Hey guys, it's Scott. I just want to thank you for tuning into the Blue Ridge Church podcast. You know, I hope this is encouraging to you. I hope it's inspiring to you. And I pray most of all, it's going to help you on your faith journey. So enjoy today. Well, I want to welcome you again to Blue Ridge Church. Thanks for being here. Whether you're streaming with us or whether you're here in person, happy Memorial Day weekend. You know, uh, it's a little bit colder than normal. It's going to be nice Tomorrow, but we appreciate you taking time out of your schedule and your day to be with us. Now I'm going to challenge you, either today or tomorrow, I want you to reflect just for a little bit on the meaning of Memorial Day and, and why we have Memorial Day, and, and that's to remember those who, who have sacrificed all for our freedom. So take some time to, to reflect on that and to thank God for that. also use that day to kind of reflect on the people that currently serve us. You know, our active military and, and first responders, but remember those who have fallen and, and really paid the ultimate sacrifice for us and thank God for the freedoms that we do have. But it's great to have you here. We're in a series right now called Cloud Nine. And if you're just joining us, we've been looking at what's the key to, to happiness, what's the key to joy and fulfillment in our lives. And we've been looking at the book of Philippians, which is really a letter that the Apostle Paul wrote while he was in prison to the Philippian church, thanking them for their generosity and for encouraging them in everything they were doing. But, you know, when you start thinking about happiness and joy, most people think it's just a stroke of luck. You know, people are just lucky that that have joy and happiness in their life, or they think it's based on circumstances or, or what they have or what they don't have or the opportunities they have or the opportunities they don't have. But what we're learning in this series is joy and happiness is a byproduct of the way we live our lives. If we live our lives in a certain way, then the end result is going to be that we're going to be joyful and we're going to be happy. So truly, we can learn to be joyful. We can learn to be happy in our lives. As a matter of fact, even before this series, you knew certain things or certain qualities or certain things that you did in your life were going to bring you joy. And then things that wouldn't bring you joy, right? If we, if we said, okay, we've got a happiness column and an unhappiness column. And I said the word kindness, you'd put it in the happiness column. If I said cruelty, you'd put it in the unhappiness column. Or if I said pride, it'd go in the unhappy or the unjoyful column. But something like humility, we, we know brings us happiness and joy. So today what I want to do is I want to look at some of the qualities that Paul mentions in in the last part of chapter 2 in the book of Philippians that if we have these qualities, if we work on these qualities in our life, then they're going to bring us joy and happiness. So I'm I'm going to read the whole thing like we do each week in this series and then we'll go back and we'll dissect it and we'll we'll separate it out and look at different parts of this passage. But in Philippians chapter 2, Starting in verse 19, Paul says, If the Lord Jesus is willing, I hope to send Timothy to you soon for a visit. Let me just stop there for a minute. Again, Paul's in prison, and Timothy is there in Rome where Paul is in prison. And he's helping, obviously, with the ministry, with planting churches, with spreading the good news of Christ. And Paul's saying, I'm getting ready to send Timothy back to you, back to Philippi. And then he says, why? He says, then he can cheer me up by telling me how you're getting along. In other words, Timothy can bring me joy once he reports back to me on how well you guys are doing. And then Paul says, I have no one else like Timothy who genuinely cares about your welfare. All the others care only for themselves and not for what matters to Jesus Christ. But you know how Timothy has proved himself. Like a son with his father, he has served with me in preaching the good news. I hope to send him to you just as soon as I find out what's going to happen to me here. And I have confidence from the Lord that I myself will come to see you soon. So he's talking about Timothy. You know, uh, Timothy helps him with the spread of the gospel. And now he mentions another guy. He says, meanwhile, I thought I should send Apophroditus back to you. He is a true brother co-worker and fellow soldier. And he was your messenger to help me in my need. So when the Philippians sent a gift to Paul while he's in prison in Rome, the church in Philippi sent him a financial gift to help with the ministry, to take care of his needs. They sent it through this guy, Apophroditus. And Paul says, I'm sending him because he has been longing to see you. And he was very distressed that you heard he was ill. And he certainly was ill. In fact, he almost died. But God had mercy on him and also on me, so that I would not have one sorrow after another. So I am all the more anxious to send him back to you, for I know you'll be glad to see him, and then I will not be so worried about you. Welcome him in the Lord's love with great joy, and give him the honor that people like him deserve, for he risked his life for the work of Christ. And he was at the point of death while doing for me what you couldn't do from far away. So you first read this and you think, well, there's not going to be much in here on happiness and joy. It's almost as if Paul's just talking about these two guys, Timothy and Apophroditus, that he's getting ready to send back to Philippi after their stay in Rome. And quite honestly, a lot of times we'll read a scripture passage like this and we'll skip over the names or, or we'll kind of skip through the characteristics of the person that the scripture is talking about. But in this passage, we're going to find some qualities that these men had, that if we have these qualities in our life and we work on these qualities in our life, we're going to have happiness and joy. So again, Paul is in Rome. And Apophroditus and Timothy are with him in Rome, and he's getting ready to send them back to the church in Philippi. And so what Paul's doing in this letter is he's kind of endorsing them, right? Or he's recommending them or encouraging the Philippian church about how good these two guys are. He's basically saying, listen, these two guys, Timothy and Apophroditus, uh, they're legitimate. They're legit. They're role models. They're good people in the spread of the gospel. I mean, in verse 20, he said this. He said, he has no one like Timothy. Now think about that for a minute. This is the Apostle Paul writing this. The guy who started hundreds and hundreds of churches. The guy who was instrumental in the spread of the gospel in the early days. Here's a guy who's written a lot of the New Testament and he's endorsing Timothy. He's giving him this high record. He's saying, I don't have anybody else like Timothy. That's pretty impressive, isn't it? I mean, think about it. That'd be like you getting a, a recommendation from the CEO of Google or Amazon. It'd be like Justin Noonkester, our worship leader, getting an endorsement from Steph Curry. Oh, Justin's got a great jump shot. We know that's not going to happen, but that's what this is like. I mean, this is a huge endorsement. So it's almost, think of it like this, it's almost like a recommendation letter that you would attach to your resume. You know, when you're applying for a job and maybe you've got a recommendation letter from a professor, from a teacher from an employer that you used to work with. Oh, James did a great job, or Sarah is an excellent employee. You would attach that to the resume, hoping that whoever's reviewing your resume will see that recommendation. Or that's what Paul's doing here. He's recommending these guys, endorsing these guys to the Philippian church. And then it, here's what he said about Apophroditus. It says, "...for he risked his life for the work of Christ." And he was at the point of death while doing for me what you couldn't do from far away. Paul's saying, listen, Apophroditus almost died. I want you to welcome him. I want you to accept him. And then Paul tells the Philippian church why he's sending these guys to him. And he gives three reasons. The first thing he said in verse 19, he said, I'm sending Timothy so that he can cheer me up. I'm sending Timothy to you so he can bring me joy, is what Paul's saying. So he can bring me happiness because he's going to give me a report on how well you guys are, are doing. And that's going to bring me joy to know what's going on there in Philippi. And then in verse 28, he, he gave the reason why he was sending Apophroditus. He said, so that you may be happy. That, that's why he sending him. Because he said, for I know you will be glad to see him. And then the third reason he gives uh, is so that he won't be worried. Then I will not be so worried about you. So Paul's sending these two guys back so that he himself can be happy and full of joy. So that they can be happy and full of joy. And so he doesn't have to worry anymore about what's going on in the Philippian church. He doesn't have to have any more anxiety. So what can we pick up from this? What qualities can we learn in our lives to bring us joy and happiness. And learning number one, joy starts when we get the focus off of us. Joy starts when we get the focus off of us. We start to care more about others than we care about ourselves. And we start to care for other people's needs more than we care for our needs. And listen, hopefully this is a common theme that you're hearing in this letter. Because Paul keeps reiterating this week after week. It's a picture he's drawing for us. We have to get the focus off of ourselves. And so now in chapter 2, he brings in an example of that. He's saying Timothy is an example of someone who took the focus off of themselves and put it on other people. Let me reread verse 20 and 21. He said, I have no one else like Timothy who genuinely cares about your welfare. All the others care only for themselves and not for what matters to Jesus Christ. In other words, other people are self-centered. They only care for themselves. They're, they're self-absorbed. They make life all about them first and foremost. But he's saying, Timothy, Timothy, on the other hand, he cares about other people. Timothy genuinely cares about you. Would you say that's true of most people today, that they care about you, that they care about others first? Probably not. Because the truth is everybody looks out after their own interest before they look out for the interest of others. That's just our nature. Our nature, we tend to look out for our own interest first. That's why Paul says, I don't have anybody like this guy. Because he generally takes an interest in you, not simply himself. What Paul is saying is people like Timothy, who put other people's needs first, are very rare. He's saying unselfish people, because that's what that is. When you get the focus off of you and put it on to other people, that's being unselfish. He's saying unselfish people are very, very rare. So the takeaway for us, if we want to be joyful, if we want to be happy, we have to focus on other people. We have to be concerned for others. And again, that's what we've been talking about each week. Week one, we talked about how we've got to lay our lives down for other people. That doesn't mean you're necessarily going to be martyred or something like that, but we have to give up what we desire and what we want sometimes in favor of what other people need. And then week three, Matt talked about humility and how humility, especially in a relationship, will reduce conflict. You know, sometimes we just don't need to put in the next word. We just have to humble ourselves for the sake and the health of the relationship. And then last week, we talked about how we have to serve God by how? Serving other people. That's how we serve the Lord, by serving other people. We have to have that mentality every single day. I'm going to serve and I'm going to give. I'm going to serve and I'm going to be generous. Because we looked at why Jesus came. Jesus said, I came to serve, not to be served, but I came to serve and to give my life as a ransom for many, to serve and to give. We have to care for the welfare of others. We got to look out For other other people. And listen, this is something that we can learn to do. We can learn to look out for others and care for others and and look out for the best interest of others. So let me ask you a question. Do, Do you ever miss the needs of other people or bypass the needs of other people because you got something else going on or something better to do? You know, it drives me crazy when I miss the needs of other people, but I do it all the time. I get moving too fast or I get preoccupied with something or I'm not listening or I'm not paying attention, but we can learn to do this. And what we need to know is culture is going to work against us. Culture wants us to make life about us. Next time you watch TV, pay attention to the the advertisements that that are on TV. I guarantee you they're all directed to you. It's all about you. It's all about me. So Paul's saying we need to intentionally shift the focus away from ourselves if we're going to be happy and joyful. That's what Timothy was able to do. That was one of Timothy's strong characteristics. Verse 22 says, But you know how Timothy has proved himself. Like a son with his father, he has served with me in preaching the good news. What's he saying there? Timothy can be trusted. He can be trusted. He, he served with me. I've seen him in action. I know what this guy is capable of. He's reliable. Timothy's consistent. Timothy is dependable. Do you know people like that in your life? People that are trustworthy, people that are reliable, they're consistent, they're uh, dependable. You ever seen people like that in action? Paul has seen Timothy. He's witnessed Timothy in action, and he's vouching vouching for his character. He's witnessed his character. And Paul's probably seen Timothy in all kinds of circumstances from what they've faced. And he's saying, look, there's nobody like this guy. He's the real deal. He's authentic. He's genuine. He's trustworthy. He's dependable. You can count on Timothy. So I think we can learn something from this. We can experience joy and we can experience happiness when we're dependable and when we're trustworthy. Matthew 25, 21, Jesus telling a story, he said it like this. His master said to him, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. And then what's he say? Enter into the what? What we're looking at in this series, the joy of your master. So if we're going to be joyful, we have to learn to be consistent and dependable and trustworthy and reliable. And fear not, the scripture gives us some ways that we can do that. Two things that will help with this. Learning number two, I can be dependable and trustworthy by living with integrity and keeping my promises. We can be trustworthy and dependable by simply keeping our word. Well, what does integrity mean? And integrity doesn't mean that we're perfect. right? None of us are going to be perfect. We're going to mess up. We're going to sin. We're going to fall short. But integrity means that our actions in life match what our mouth says. right? Our actions match our words. In other words, we do what we say we're going to do. That's pretty simple, but that makes us trustworthy. That makes us reliable and dependable. Listen to what Proverbs twenty-eight twenty says. The trustworthy person will get a rich reward, but a person who wants quick riches will get into trouble. If you're trustworthy, you get a rich reward. So if we want to be happy, the first thing we do is we shift the focus off of us. We pay attention to other people's needs. And, and, and then... We become somebody that we, people can trust, someone that's dependable, someone that's reliable. Isn't that what we kind of celebrate on Memorial Day anyway? It's people who were trustworthy, people who were dependable, people who were reliable that laid down their lives for us, that sacrificed for the sake of others. That's dependability and reliability at the height of it. And then Paul also says Apophroditus has these qualities. Verse 25. Meanwhile, I thought I should send Apophroditus back to you. He is a true brother, co-worker, and fellow soldier. And he was your messenger to help me in my need. Now again, this is the guy that the the church in Philippi sent a financial gift to Paul while he was in prison. Apophroditus was the one who delivered it. And Paul's saying, this guy is my brother. He's my fellow worker. He's a, a soldier. He's fought by my side. He's been about the mission of Christ. He's a team player. So we, I think we need to learn how to work with other people. Apophroditus learned to work with Paul. It furthered the gospel. They cooperated on their mission of spreading the good news. That's not something we automatically do. Simply learn to work with others and to cooperate with others. But I'm telling you, in this life that we live, if you don't learn to cooperate with others and to work with other people, you're not going to be successful. Right? If you don't learn to work with people that are different than you are or different than me, then we're going to be in real trouble because everybody's different than us. Right? Everybody's wired a little bit differently. Here's something else. Verse 26, I am sending him... Because he has been longing to see you. And he was very distressed that you heard he was ill. So he's been longing to see you. He was distressed because you were worried about him. What's, what's Apophroditus doing here? He's being thoughtful, right? He's being considerate of what the Philippian people are, are going through and they're, and they're worried about him. So I think we have to learn to be kind, And sympathetic to the needs and the understanding of others. And Paul cites Apophroditus as as an example of this. It says he has a longing to see you. He's concerned for you. He wants to come back home and assure you. The message translation, that verse says this. He wants to get back and reassure you that he's fine. So he's concerned that they're worried about him. And he wants to reassure him, look, I'm okay. I'm better now. So learning number three, the more we're considerate of other people's needs, the happier we'll be. The more considerate we are, the more joy we're going to have. Another quality, 1 Corinthians 1.10, I appeal to you, dear brothers and sisters, by the authority of our Lord Jesus Christ, to live in harmony with each other. it in harmony, that's learning to cooperate. And part of cooperating is being considerate of the needs of other people. Again, this, by nature, we do not do. But we can learn to do it. We can learn these qualities. And again, the byproduct of learning these qualities is what? Happiness and joy. Then 1 Corinthians 10.33 says, I, too, try to please everyone in everything I do. I don't just do what's best for me. I do what's best for others so that many may be saved. So Paul ends with these words about Apophroditus. I want to look specifically back at verse 27 and then verse 30. In verse 27 he said, And he certainly was ill, talking about Apophroditus. In fact, he almost died. But God had mercy on him and also on me, so that I would not have one sorrow after another. And this is key. For he risked his life for the work of Christ. And he was at the point of death, while doing for me what you couldn't do from far away. He risked his life. Now remember, Paul's in Rome, and then the Philippian church is in Greece. Okay? Estimates are it's about 800 miles from point A to point B. And so the Philippian church is sending this financial gift to Paul. Well, they can't just go down to the Western Union right, and wire it to Paul's account in prison so that he can take care of his needs and and take care of the ministry in that area. They can't send it UPS. They can't get on a plane and deliver it. The only way to deliver it is to walk it 800 miles from Philippi to Rome. And Apophroditus is the one that does that. He's probably that guy that raised his hand in church one day and said he'd volunteer. Oh yeah, we got this little journey we need you to take. No, he volunteered to do it and it was dangerous. It was life-threatening. Walking 800 miles, thieves, robbers, dangers, toils, whatever, but it says he risked his life for the sake of Christ. So it wasn't like this was a cakewalk. 800 miles he's walking, and something happened to him, right? We know from reading this something happened to him. He got ill. He got sick you know, he picked up something on the way, whatever it was, we don't know what happened, but we know he finished. Whether he had, you know, persistent pain because of this illness or whatever he picked up, but he finished what he started. And I think that's one of those qualities that brings us joy and happiness when we finish what we start. So learning number four, if we genuinely want to be joyful in life, we should live for something that's going to last. We should live for something that's going to last. That's what Apophroditus is doing. That's what Timothy's doing. That's what Paul's doing. That's what the Philippian church is doing. They're they're working, they're doing, they're living for something that's going to last. And that's the message of Jesus, right? The hope of Jesus, the promise of Jesus, it's going to last. And so the reason Apophroditus agreed to take this money, this financial gift to Paul is because it was worth the risk. Because he knew it was something that was going to last. The hope of Christ. The spread of the gospel of Christ. As a matter of fact, Paul said it was worth dying for. So I think a great reflection question we could ask ourselves is, is, are we doing the same? Is what we're sacrificing for going to last? You know, where we spend all of our, our time and our energy in our thoughts, in our money, in our hope, is it going to last? Is what I'm giving everything in my life to, is it going to make a difference? Is it going to last? Is it going to be here five years from now, 10 years from now, 20 years from now? Because listen, I believe we we have such limited time on this earth, we should invest it in things that are going to last. And that's Christ. Christ. So if you were here last week, I asked two pointed questions. Were you sacrificially serving others? Again, that's the whole theme Paul's telling us is going to bring us joy and happiness. And then are you growing in generosity every year or, or as you get older? Because if we ever get stuck in those two things, service or generosity, we get stuck in happiness and joy. But here, here's the two questions I want to ask today. What commitment have you made that you haven't yet completed? Think about that for a minute. What commitment have you made that you haven't completed yet? Think about Apophroditus. What if he would have gotten 50 miles into that journey or 100 miles into that journey and turned around and went back home to Philippi? I'm not doing this. I'm not finishing this. The gospel of Christ, Paul can figure it out himself. So what commitment have you made that you haven't yet completed? And I'm not looking to beat you up because you haven't finished that commitment. I'm encouraging you to finish that commitment. Maybe it's a commitment you made to your husband. Or it's a commitment you made to your wife. Or a commitment you made to your children. Maybe it's a commitment you made to people you work for. Or it's a commitment you made to your church or or this church. Or it's a commitment you made to God. But what commitment have you made that you haven't completed yet? Apophroditus finished the mission. And here's the second question I'd ask. Is your commitment to Christ deep enough to cause you to take risk? Is your commitment to Christ deep enough for you to risk everything? Is it deep enough for you to give up your personal preferences and what you think is the right thing for the sake of the gospel? Are you willing to risk everything? To tell people about Christ and to spread the good news about Christ. Are you willing to sacrifice any area of your life that Christ may call you to sacrifice? Would you do something as difficult as this? That Apophroditus had to do. Would you do something as difficult as walking 800 miles? To do something that you knew was going to further the kingdom of God. And let's just be real honest. The sad truth is most people today say I'll live for Christ as long as it's convenient to me. I mean, that's what it is. Most people are happy to follow Christ as long as it's secure, as long as it's comfortable, as long as it's convenient. It doesn't upset my life so I'm willing to follow Christ. The the, the real question we got to ask is will I still follow Christ when it gets inconvenient and it becomes uncomfortable? See, that's why God in this passage is saying honor people like Timothy and Apophroditus because they sacrificed everything and they took risk to share the gospel of Jesus. The good news is This church has been willing to take risk for almost 11 years. Big risk for Jesus to sacrifice so that other people know who Christ is. And the good news is God's not done with us. But the other good news is he's not done with you. Maybe you don't even attend church here. You you attend church regularly somewhere else. God's going to use you in that church if you're willing to take a risk for him. And if you're still here, he's going to call you to be a part of something and to take a risk for him. We got to decide, am I willing to follow Christ even when it involves risk, even when it's uncomfortable, even when it not, might not be completely secure? Have you ever just prayed to God and said, hey God, I will be used however you want me to be used? That is probably the most dangerous prayer we could ever pray as a church or we could ever pray as individuals. God, just use me. Because if you pray that prayer, he's going to use you and he will absolutely wear you out. But it's the secret to happiness. You're giving your life, you're giving yourself to something that's greater than yourself. You're giving your life and your sacrifice to something that's going to last forever. People last forever, either with God or without God. I can't think of anything more important than people knowing Christ. And, you know, contrary to what the world teaches, happiness doesn't come from, uh, you know, being comfortable and secure. Happiness comes from serving the Lord and sacrificing and doing whatever it is the Lord calls us to do. So happiness doesn't come from doing the, the, the safe thing. It comes from doing whatever's going to stretch our faith. Whatever's going to get us out of our comfort zone where God wants to use us. If you want to be used by God, he will show you where he wants to use you. So so let me end with uh, Jesus' secret to happiness, which I think sums up everything we've talked about today. It's a verse we actually looked at last week. But I want to look at it again this week in a different translation. But it's Mark 8, 35. Only those who give away their lives for my sake and for the sake of the good news will ever know what it means to really live. Wow. Only those who are willing to risk it all, in other words, will know what it means to live, to really, truly live. We are just existing if we don't have a purpose greater than than ourselves. The truth is, the happiest people on earth are people who get the focus off of them and and meet the needs of other people. The happiest people are the most trustworthy and the most dependable and the most caring. The happiest people, the most joyful people are the most courageous people, the sacrificial people. That's what we just looked at. And that's what we celebrate on Memorial Day those people who didn't do the thing that was comfortable. They lived for something greater than themselves. They sacrificed it all. That's where joy and happiness can truly be found. When we do for Christ whatever he calls us to do, no matter the risk, when we live for him something greater than ourselves, let's pray together. God, First of all, thank you for uh, the book of Philippians, this letter to the Philippian church. Thank you for these two gentlemen, Timothy and Apophroditus, that we've learned about today. God, thank you that we can learn to be joyful and learn to be happy. The way we live our lives, the byproduct of that will bring us happiness and joy. Lord, we want to be people that take the focus off of us. Help us to continue for the next 10 years as a church to get the focus off of us. To put it on those that you want to reach. Help us to be in our individual lives trustworthy and reliable and to finish the commitments that we make. To live with integrity so that we do shine a little bit brighter when the world gets a little bit darker. God, we truly want to be used to fulfill your plan. Lord, we do thank you for the men and women who paid the ultimate sacrifice for our freedoms. And Lord, we thank you for your sacrifice on the cross, the ultimate sacrifice that gives us eternal life, gives us forgiveness of sins, and gives us a purpose for living our lives here today. Thank you for never giving up on us. Lord, we love you and we praise you. In Jesus' name, amen. As we finish up, uh, today is the last day to sign up to lead a summer group. And if you've been praying about leading a summer group, you've got something in mind, I want to encourage you to fill out that connection card and, and say, hey, I'm willing to lead a group. I hope you have a terrific day. I hope you have a terrific Memorial Day and a great week, and I hope you'll join us next Sunday. God bless you guys. Thank you so much for being here.